Praise the Lord. With everything changing, like a raging storm whirling around us, we need to be anchored to something greater than ourselves. Authentic believers have a firm foundation upon which our faith is based. We're built upon God's Word. It's the foundation of Christ's family. As the winds of massive change are swirling around us throughout the world, we're able to remain solidly planted in God's Word. We're able to. The question is, will we? Or do we turn to other things? I, for one, want to base my faith on the Word of God. Regardless of the infiltration of demonic doctrines and false teaching into the church, the Lord warned us that these things would happen. Regardless of satanic forces opposing God's kingdom, the Lord warned us these things would happen. Regardless of antichrist sentiment growing, the Lord warned us these things would happen. We have the wherewithal to weather these storms and any others that will come until Christ returns. God's Word is unchanging. It is established forever. God's Word is established forever. We've looked at passages of Scripture that state exactly that. And this is something to shout a praise to God about. His Word is unchanging. Amen? I plan to bring a message in and about and from God's Word today. I pray that the Spirit of Almighty God will use this message to strengthen you in the power of His might. I trust our Creator will empower you. PA's not on? Downstairs isn't on? My mic's working. Okay. Are you certain? It's not through this one. It's through that one. It's on in the back. Oh, I see. That one's not on. Okay. There you go. Okay. Thank you, John. Thank you, Terry. <laughs> I'm, just not a, I'm just not a techno guy. My phone's in my office. Thank you. I believe God's going to help us overcome any and all adversity. I really do. Even though we get hit with things like that, you know, little things that, for whatever reason, I didn't think of. Thank you. We're going to begin with a passage of Scripture from the 12th chapter of Romans. Romans chapter 12, and if you want, you can open the Bible there, or we're going to have it on the screen, or both, if you like. We're going to begin with verse 1, and we're going to read through the chapter. There's 21 verses there. And if you want to find it in the book, that Bible that you have there in your seat, it would be on page 1748, page 1748. It's Romans chapter 12, page 1748. And as I said, we're going to read all 21 verses. I beseech you, therefore, brethren... By the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another." Having then gifts, differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith, or ministry 
let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches is in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble." Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I pray that Almighty God would place his blessing on the reading and hearing of his word today. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, how difficult is that for us? Last week, we began reading from Psalm 119, verse 9. That passage begins with a simple question, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? And the answer is simply God's Word. Romans 12 also answers that question with a directive, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do we cleanse our way? We have our mind cleansed with the Word of God. Verse by verse, we hear the way to improve and preserve our lives forever. It's through Christ, the grace of God, our faith in what He has accomplished. And this passage of God's Word urges us to offer our physical bodies as a living sacrifice. In other words, we are to use what we can of what we have to the service of God, one way or another. And He gives us gifts to do it. He helps us to do it. Romans 12 answers that question with a directive. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You once were, the Scripture says, and now you are not. You're something different. You're transformed. We're instructed to be dedicated to God and pleasing to Him. Who are we to please? Are we to please those around us? No, that's not the goal. And some people will be pleased by our service. There's no doubt about that. But then there are those who will not be pleased by our service no matter what we do. We're not aiming to please others. We're aiming to please God. He wants our dedication to repentant, holy living. He wants us to be dedicated. And this is not an unreasonable expectation. He says so. It's our reasonable service. It's a realistic expectation. Our Creator saves us from our sins that imprisoned us. Verse 2 instructs believers not to be conformed to the world. And you may have heard people say, we're in the world, but we're not to be of the world. We are in the world, but we're not to be of it. And this is part of the way that they get that idea. We're not to be conformed to the world. Whatever the world does, we are not to do. We're to be something different. We're to be someone different. We're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, by the changing of our mind. And it's God's Word that's changing minds. When we came to God through Christ, we were alienated enemies. That's what the Scripture says. 
You look in Ephesians chapter 2. It says that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. You were lost. You had no hope in the world without Christ. That's what His Word says. We were alienated enemies. In Colossians chapter 1, it's written, And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. And what is anything? What is wicked? Is anything God says it is? It's sin. It's anything God says. It's not me or you or anybody else. Nobody gets to define that but God. He says, You were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now He has reconciled in the body of His flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in His sight. And wouldn't it be wonderful if it just ended right there? But Paul goes on. He says, if, if, that's the biggest word in God's Word. That is the biggest word in the Bible, if. If, indeed, you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away. Now, if it says that if you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, if you are not moved away, it suggests that you can be moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard. And then he says, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister, and yours truly as well, has become a minister of the gospel. Our renewed mind provides irrefutable evidence of the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God wants us to have, as some say, our best life now, but it's not the way that they say it. What the life we have now is in Christ. Our life is eternal in Christ. Our thinking changes from being opposed to our Creator to being drawn into living for Him. And we want to live in such a way as is pleasing to Him. We're driven by His Spirit to want to live the way that He asks us, suggests, instructs, commands, and demands that we live. And how do we do that? Through the power that He gives us with His Spirit. It's not our own power. We don't have that power because the Scripture tells us we're dead in our sins. But Ephesians chapter 2 tells us, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. How many of you know that you are living saints of God? His Word makes that clear. His Word makes it clear that His people are living saints. Those who are on the planet right now are alive, living saints, sanctified by Christ. We're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Each of us individually is a temple of God, and each of us collectively have been put together into a temple for God to live in, to dwell in. This is where we get to change our minds, folks, from thinking that we are islands. None of us are islands. We're not islands. We're collectively the body of Christ. We are collectively the temple of God. As we continue in the 12th chapter of Romans, we find God's grace is the change agent. What changes us? What changes our mind? It's the grace of God. And some say God's grace is only for forgiveness. That's not what the Scripture shows us. God's grace is what moves over us and changes us into the image of Christ by faith. It's like bleach. It's like dye forever changes the color of our lives. Sin stains are washed away. We sing a hymn like that. Our sins are washed away, the night is turned to day. But not only that, God's grace enables and empowers us to resist the enemy's temptations. And as we resist, what happens? Anybody. We resist the devil and he flees. He flees. That's what... 
James 4, 7 tells us, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And that's not always easy, especially when we're overwhelmed with temptation. I found myself overwhelmed with temptation sometimes. I need to resist the devil, and each of you need to also, because that's where your power is in Christ. You simply resist, and He gives you the ability to overcome that temptation as the devil flees from you. Having our minds renewed enables us not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to. That's what Romans 12.3 is telling us. We're not to think more highly of ourselves, especially when comparing ourselves to others. We're to humble ourselves. We use good judgment to heed God's warning about pride. We empty ourselves of self-promotion in our function within the body. I'm not saying, well, I'm better because… No. We're all to be the same. We're all equal. That's the bottom line. We're all equal. We're to avoid any false image of our own importance. And unfortunately, throughout the body of Christ, there are those who elevate themselves into positions of authority, and their chests puff up, and they say, I am, and they put a title after whatever they are. Or they put letters before their name or after their name, and suddenly they're more important in the body. But that's not what God's Word teaches us. God's Word teaches us to put ourselves below or aside everyone else, not above. We're to avoid any false image of our own importance. We're to avoid elevating ourselves for any reason. Remember what's written in Matthew chapter 20? Jesus called His disciples to Himself, and He said what? You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them, yet it shall not be so among you. You're not to elevate yourself above others. You are to be equal. And there are some who say, well, we've got to have this, and we've got to have that, and we need this, and we need that. In the body of Christ, we've got to have the the elders of the church. The elders are the servants. They don't want to be servants, but that's what they're supposed to be. Whoever desires to be great among you, let him be your servant. That's what our Lord said. Are we following Christ or are we following ourselves? That's the question that I have to ask whenever I see people elevating themselves above others. Are we following Christ or are we following ourselves? Who's really leading us? Good answer. She's right on the money. She's right on the money. During my service to God, I've personally witnessed the fact that Almighty God will replace any of us if we esteem ourselves greater than others. I've watched it happen, even in this building. I've watched God move people out who had esteemed themselves above others. And I said, well, I'm not going to esteem myself. I am your brother. I serve you. That's what I do. I'm not greater than you. I simply am used by God to go into His Word and bring a message each week. That's what He calls me to do. And so I live by His Word to the best of my ability. I don't want to be greater than anyone else, and I don't want you to think of me as being greater than anyone else. We must honestly assess our worth by using our God-given faith as the standard of measurement. God gives us faith. He gives us grace. That's the tool that we use to measure ourselves by. How great is my faith? And how much has God given me? And I humble myself before Him. And sometimes it's difficult. It's difficult to walk by faith and not by sight. But yet we're supposed to. And this is how we renew our thinking. And it helps us to see our true value as His servants, not as bosses. There's too many that want to be leaders in the church. They want to be bosses. They want to be ruling over others. And that's not Christ. That wasn't His way, it wasn't His will, and it wasn't His teaching. Now, our physical body has different parts. Our physical body has different organs, and they have unique functions. And this illustrates the body of Christ. Our bodies would not function. Now, there's this thing that I read one time. It said that the head was arguing with the foot, and the head saying, you know, without me, you couldn't do anything. And the foot said, without me, you're not going anywhere. <laughs> okay? And the argument keeps going on different parts of the body. This one's shut down, and this one's shut down. And finally, he said, no, we're all equal. 
In Romans chapter 12 and verses 4 and 5, we read, as we have many members in one body, but all members do not have the same function, so we, we, all of us and all who are true believers, we, we are one body. Even though we're many, we're one body in Christ, and individually we are members of one another. In other words, we all belong to each other. We're all part of the body. We're all part of the body. Even though we're many, we've been assembled into one body in Christ. There are no lone stars in Christ. There are no lone stars. The world has many lone stars. We see them all throughout societies. And you know, I was thinking this morning, it's something. I was thinking this morning, never in my life, and I don't think ever in history, and I haven't exhaustively studied history, but never in my life have I ever seen a time when the whole world was controlled by one thing or one person or one entity. Ever. Never. In my whole life, I've never seen where the whole world was under the sway of anything. And that tells me something. See, because the Lord said there's going to be a time when the whole world comes under the sway of one, one whatever, called a beast. And I believe we're starting to see that, folks. And in these times that we live, these changing times, we need to be firmly planted in the Word of Almighty God so that we will stand no matter what comes against us. Because absent that, we have nothing. Because it is our faith in Almighty God's work through Jesus Christ that brings us that salvation that will bring us that everlasting life. We're all essentially joined to one another, and each of us unselfishly contributes to the others. It doesn't matter what the world throws at us. And this idea of being united as a body is opposite of the way the world works, because everybody's trying to do them. And now, I don't have my phone. I'll pretend this is a phone. Everybody's got this going on, you know? Self. 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 It's all about self. Not everybody, obviously. Not everybody. But that's a big part of the population in the world now. And that is what is part of our transformation. That's part of our renewing of our mind. We are no longer like the world. We may be in the world, but not of the world. Let's look at the definition. Well, wait a minute. Let's read uh, verse 6. Having then gifts, differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. In other words, God gives us gifts, and we're to use those gifts. He says, if prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. There are some that say there's no prophecy. There's no gift of prophecy anymore. There are some in the body of Christ today that have been teaching that for centuries. There's no more prophecy. That's not what God's Word says, but that's what they say. And let's look at the definition of prophecy there, because maybe we don't understand what that word means. The Thayer definition says that prophecy is the definition. The English word prophecy defines the prophetia. Prophetia. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Forgive me. It's a discourse emanating from divine inspiration... emanating from divine inspiration and declaring the purposes of God. Whose purposes? God's purposes, right. Whether by reproving and admonishing the wicked, because there are times when God gives a message to somebody to reprove, to admonish those who are living in sin. We see that in the Old Testament times, whenever the prophets would come and say, repent. John the Baptist came preaching, repent. Christ came preaching, repent. And that's part of the prophecy, the professing of the Word of God. Reproving and admonishing the wicked or comforting the afflicted. Sometimes that's part of prophecy. It's comforting the afflicted. How many of us can say that we are afflicted in one way or another in the world today? I would venture to say all of us are. Somehow, some way, we are all afflicted in the world today. Or revealing things hidden. And there's one there that gets kind of tricky because when people say, Well, I heard from the Lord. 
You can't always know that what they're hearing is actually from the Lord unless it comes to pass. And it's for especially foretelling future events. Whenever prophets bring a message that becomes false because it doesn't come true in the Old Testament times, their punishment was stoning to death. They were not going to be left alive because they weren't speaking for God. It's used in the New Testament, this word is used of the utterance of the Old Testament prophets. Prophecy. They brought prophecy. The New Testament testifies to the prophecy that was brought through the Old Testament prophets. You think of the Old Testament prophets like Ezekiel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, for example, Micah, and some of the others. And as we go on in that definition, we see the prediction of events relating to Christ's kingdom and its speedy triumph. Together with the consolations and admonitions pertaining to it, the spirit of prophecy, the divine mind to which the prophetic faculty is due. It is not a man's thing. A man or a woman may not say, I am a prophet, and elevate themselves and say, I'm going to tell you what God said. Now, if God chooses them and He uses them, what they say better line up with God's Word, and it better come true, because if it doesn't, then they're false. Prophecy is not something to take lightly. Oh, well, they got it wrong this time. Oh, that's right, yeah, so does the weatherman every week, right? I mean, seriously, God takes it serious, okay? Now, we'll go on with the definition because it's important that we understand what God is referring to when He says, if you have that gift of prophecy, the gift of prophecy, you need to check with Him to make sure what you're saying is correct. Now, He does tell us in His Word, I think it's in Isaiah, that uh, He will give false things to say to the false prophets, and they will say those things thinking that they're saying something from God because God actually gave it to them to say. He tells us that. But anyway, as we go on, it's the endowment and speech of the Christian teachers called prophets. The gifts and utterances of these prophets, especially of the predictions of the works of which set apart to teach the gospel, will accomplish the kingdom of Christ. You see, the whole goal is to bring about the kingdom of Christ. It's not to build our own kingdom. It's not to build our own empire. It's to build the kingdom of Christ. And again, what we bring, if given a word from God, must come true. If it doesn't, we are false. There's no way around that. God's Word makes it clear. And if we go on into Romans chapter 12 and verse 7, I apologize for kind of belaboring that, but I want you to understand how important it is, okay? Because I'm going to just drop back there for a moment. If we're given a gift of prophecy, we must make sure that it is from God and that we're prophesying, speaking, professing His Word, not our own. <clears throat> in 12, 7, uh, if we're given the gift of ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching. And we've got to look at that word ministry because that's gotten confused in today's world also. Everybody's a minister. We've got a minister of this and a minister of that. Minister, minister, minister. Everybody's a minister, right? The ministry is diakona. Diakona. It's from another Greek word, which is diakonos, I believe, if I remember correctly. And it means attendance as a servant. A servant. Not an elevated position of minister. It is a servant, okay? It's an aid. It means official service even. Especially, especially of the Christian teacher, such as yours truly. If I'm a minister, it's because I'm a servant. I'm serving the Word of God to those who will receive it. And technically, it is of the diaconate. In other words, those who are servants in the service of Christ. Servants who, for example, in this situation, uh, tune up the building, keep things working. Deacons, those who shovel gravel, for example. Servants, those who do the work. And there are servants of this place, this building that we worship in, there are servants who go unrecognized and mostly unknown. And that's okay, because the work gets done. We are all ministers of Christ. It's a minister. It's a ministration. It's the office, the, the relief and the service or servicing of the body of Christ. 
So when somebody says, well, this is my ministry, I want to say, um, okay, call yourself a servant then. Don't try to elevate yourself. Humble yourself. Put yourself down. Put Christ first, yourself behind Him. If your gift is encouraging others, He tells us to devote yourself to giving encouragement. In other words, he who exhorts, it's written in verse 8, in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. In other words, if your gift is in giving, if God has blessed you to give with the ability to give, then do it liberally. That's what he says. That's his word. And anybody who knows me knows I don't preach about money. I don't care about money. It doesn't matter to me. God always supplies my needs, and I appreciate those of you who give gifts to help that happen. If in sharing, be generous. If your gift is speaking God's Word, make sure you use His written Word as your guide. I have heard too many people that speak. They start out with a passage of Scripture, and by the time the message is over, I'm looking for anything that had to do with that Scripture. I've heard these messages myself. I mean, in person at times. I say, well, where's the Word of God? How are we, what are we supposed to make of this man's teaching or preaching when it doesn't contain the Word of God? God's Word is supreme. God's Word rules this earth when we live by it. We are the living embodiment of the Word of God, if we are. If your gift is speaking God's Word, make sure you use His Word to preach and teach. If somebody asks me a question, well, Pastor, what do you think about this? I says, well, let's turn to the Word of God and find out what God says. And then I can tell you what I think. But first, we're going to look at what God says. And I don't want you to know what I think. What I think is irrelevant. What matters is what God says. This is how we're to guide our lives. This is where we get the strength to change our minds from what we think to what He thinks. And that's the goal of a Christian's life, to have our mind renewed by God's Word. And this is the grace gift of professing, and we're to let it guide every aspect of ministry. And unfortunately, there are many that don't. There are many people that will sit in seats like this today, and they'll go home hungry for what they didn't get because the Word of God was not proclaimed. And that makes me sad. I've sat in places like this when I've heard people who spoke, but it wasn't the Word of God that they spoke. We need to be speaking God's Word, not the Word of our own imagination, not the Word of anybody else's imagination. And then as we go on, we see if your gift is serving, devote yourself to serving. See, if you're a minister, you're a servant, and if that's your gift, then serve. Serve. If your gift is teaching, devote yourself to teaching God's Word. If it's management, now, the word leader is used in the passage, if it's leading, but it actually means management. I looked up the, the base of the word, it's management. If you're a manager, then be an enthusiastic manager. Help people as you manage whatever it is that you manage. You lead by example. If your help, or if, excuse me, if your gift is helping people in need, then help liberally. Help them cheerfully. And the next half, we're going to get through pretty quickly. The next half of Romans 12 teaches us the marks of true followers. If you look in your Bible there, it might even say something like that. I believe. They're usually there's headings. And sometimes the headings are used to, no, this one doesn't have it. Some Bibles do. Um, the marks of true followers. The marks. The evidence. The evidence of true followers. Those whose minds have been changed. Those whose minds have been transformed. Our love of God and each other is without hypocrisy. And that's one of the things I think that is really destroying the Christian faith is hypocrisy. Those who claim to follow Christ, but they live nothing like Him, that is hypocrisy. Our love of God and each other is without hypocrisy. We never play the role of an actor wearing a mask. 
We're not a pretender. We do what we do in the name of Christ, and we live our lives as followers of Christ. His Word is changing minds, including ours. We hate what is evil. We hang on to what is good. That's what His Word says. We're devoted to tenderly loving fellow believers. I think that's one of the things that's really improved with Christ's family that meets in this building. I can't tell you how many times I've had people who have visited with us and say, I just feel like I'm part of the family. That's what you're supposed to be. That's how it's supposed to be. We're not supposed to be shunning people. We're not supposed to be looking down on people. I can't tell you how many times I've seen people look down their nose at somebody because their hair's longer or they got a beard or whatever. And I use those things because that has been one that has been pronounced in this building. You see somebody who comes in in clothes different than what you wear, and suddenly you've got to look down on them because their clothes aren't what you wear? That's not what God's Word shows us. We're to love without hypocrisy. God's Word's changing our minds. We seek to outdo ourselves in respect and honor of each other, not of ourselves. We change our mind from thinking more highly of ourselves to highly, more highly of others. We serve the Lord enthusiastically, and we keep our passion for Him hot. And some call it the fire of the Holy Spirit burning through us, bringing us into that spiritual place of life where others can tell there's something different about this lady. There's something different about this guy. We're devoted to loving each other. We excel in showing our respect for each other. We serve the Lord enthusiastically. Enthusiastically. And, oh, gee, I got to do that again. We do what He wants us to do. We do it with great grace. We do it with faith. We do it with enthusiasm. Now, I've seen people, unfortunately, maybe they just didn't have it, but they drone on and on and on and on and on and on. There's no change in the inflection in their voice, and they just talk, and everybody's falling asleep, and they're saying, it's time to go. No, it's not time to go yet, but we need to go. We need to get out of here before we die. The Word of God is to bring life more abundantly. Praise God. Those with renewed minds radiate with the glow of the Holy Spirit. I have seen, I, I did a funeral one time down in Freeport. I didn't know the deceased. And there was a lot of people. As this guy was a former uh, councilman of uh, Freeport Borough. And uh, as I looked out in the crowd of people, it was, the lights were down a little bit. Or at least it seemed like they were. It was a really dark day, something. But I saw one face. One face that was glowing. And after the service, the lady came up to me and she said, you told them exactly what they needed to hear. I recognized her as a Christ follower, even though she did not tell me that before or during the service. I saw it in her. And I see it in you. I see the light of Christ shining in you. And I want you to be able to be that light for others. That's part of what Romans 12 teaches us. It's one of the marks of true followers. We shed that light. We shine that light. We illuminate the way. Those with renewed minds radiate with the glow of the Holy Spirit. And we let Him fill us with excitement as we serve. And that doesn't mean we're always jumping up and down happy, okay? Some of you will see me when I'm not. Tired. Sometimes I'm worn down. <laughs> I say, Lord, help me. Somebody was like, why you got a scowl on your face? My dad taught me that. I still fight to get rid of it whenever I'm tired. <laughs> Praise God. We willingly use our energy to serve the Lord by selflessly serving others. You see, these are all written in that second half of Romans chapter 12. And that's why I included it in this message. Because these are the marks of a changed mind. And God's Word is changing our minds even now as we hear it proclaimed in this room. Whatever God 
has gifted us with, we use it selflessly to serve Him and others. Transformed believers, let the hope of Christ burst forth within us. Again, you're not going to see me bouncing around all bubbly all the time, okay? That's not what I'm talking about. We don't serve, oh, I've got to serve God. That's not how it is. We use our energy to serve God selflessly. We don't give up in times of trouble. And I think this is probably the most important point for us today. We don't give up in times of trouble. You know, the Word tells us that you'll see lots of people falling on one side or the other, but you will stand. So when you've done all things, when all else you've done, stand. Stand. Don't give up. Don't give up. We don't lose hope in Christ. We stand in it. We communicate with God at all times. We call that prayer. Even in tribulation, even in trials, even in difficulties, we communicate with God. And sometimes my prayers are just this, God help us. I say that prayer in my sleep. Seriously, my wife will tell you. I pray, God help us. Always. That is like my constant prayer anymore. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. And yet we see all around us in this world, the whole world is going what looks like crazy. You can't believe some of the things that you hear. You can't believe some of the things that you see. But it's there. But we don't give up. We talk to God. And we also take an interest in the needs of God's beloved people, brothers and sisters in Christ. We respond to others' needs by sharing what we have, even to the point of giving them a place to stay if necessary. I can't tell you how many people Chris and I have brought into our homes, and sometimes they've taken advantage of it. It's not a good thing sometimes, but we've done it. We've done that because God says to do it. And it's a hard thing. It's not something that most people want to do. Who wants to have somebody in your house? It's a tough one. His Word says to do it. In Romans 12 and verse 14, it tells us to bless those who persecute us. Bless and do not curse. Bless those who persecute us. I thought of Stephen as he was dying. He said, Lord, bless them. Prayed a prayer of blessing upon those who were killing him. Christ did the same thing. Now, they don't like it, and it truly requires a renewed mind to do so, because our first reaction, I'll tell you, my first reaction, I don't know about your first reaction, but my first reaction, when somebody's trying to hurt me, my first reaction is to stop them, and my next reaction is to hurt them. I, honestly, just I'm talking flesh us naturally. It's our natural self-protection that kicks in when somebody tries to hurt us. But the Word tells us to bless them when they curse you, when they persecute you. But you have to have a renewed mind to do so. And it's tough. Even with a renewed mind, it's tough. It's not easy. Our renewed mind enables us, though, to rejoice with those who rejoice and to mourn with those who mourn. This is why we have funeral services So we can mourn with those who mourn, and we can also rejoice with them as they rejoice. We celebrate with those who celebrate. We grieve with those who grieve. And those with renewed minds live together in a spirit of harmony. We don't have that infighting. We don't have that murmuring. We don't have the, dare I say the word, gossip. I remember I gave a message one time here. It was probably 10 years ago or so. It was on gossip. And after the service, there were a group of women that were sitting in the back pews there, and they were... And finally, one of them must have been chosen to be the speaker, and they came over to me, Pastor, would it be gossip if we uh, lifted up a prayer request for somebody? And I said, well, it depends on your intent. And they got back together. Came back to me. 
It's not really gossip, though, is it, Pastor? Well, God's Word says if your intent is wrong, it's gossip. If you really want to help somebody, then help them. Don't just try to spread something to make everybody else look down on them. But then I tell people what they think of me is none of my business. I don't care. What I care is that God cares and that He hears me and He knows me and He knows my heart. Those with renewed minds are mindful of another's worth just as much as we are of our own worth. We love our neighbor as ourself. We're not lofty-minded. We don't think we're more important than somebody else. We're not too important to serve. I've had people, well, how dare you ask me to do that? Who do you think you are anyway? I'm nobody. Nor are you. Woo! Oh, they blow up then. <laughs> but we're not lofty-minded. And we're willing to do even menial tasks. Menial tasks. Like running the vacuum, wiping the pews, shoveling the gravel, whatever. Those are just a few that I can think of right now. We identify with those who are humble-minded. We're not smug. We don't think. We don't think that we're more talented or more knowledgeable. Regardless of what our role is, no matter what God uses us for, we don't think we're better than others. That's what His Word is telling us here in the second half of Romans chapter 12. We don't repay anybody evil for evil. We're not wise in our own opinion. We're not prideful. Pride is erased. We have regard for good things in the sight of all. We don't hold grudges. We don't try to get even. Instead, we live our lives around the most gracious way to benefit others. And what we plant, you think about it, okay? What we plant is what we receive. That's what we harvest. If we plant wheat, we get wheat. We plant grass, we get grass. We plant corn, we get corn. My brother reminds me of this all the time. You plant corn, you're going to get corn. That's a real simple analogy, but it is true. God's Word shows us what we sow is what we reap. As much as it depends on us, we live peaceably with everyone. Thus it is written. Regardless of what changes come, no matter what the world throws at us, we're never obsessed with taking revenge. No. We leave revenge to God's justice. And there are those who will stand before Almighty God, those who don't believe He even exists, who one day will give an account for what they have done. There are those who stand before God who think that they're higher than God, who will answer to Him. As much as it depends on us, we live peaceably with everyone. Romans 12, 20 instructs believers to feed our enemies if they're hungry. Give them a drink when they're thirsty. And that is just simply repeating what's found in Proverbs 25. If your enemy's hungry, give him bread to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. Now, I know myself. I have done these things, and it hasn't been well received, but I've done it. And I know when we think about our enemies, we don't think about feeding them and giving them something to drink. That's not what we think. We think, let them die, right? I mean, seriously. That humanly, that's what we think. But spiritually, we say, no, let them live, and let them live with and in and by Christ. For so, by doing this, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Oh, there, see? We're going to kill him with fire. We're going to throw coals of fire on your heads and kill them, right? That's what it sounds like. Uh, but no. It's a metaphor taken from smelting metallic ores. So what happens is the hot coals are intended not to consume the enemies, but to melt them down into kindness by the kindness that you show. That's what it's about. And like blessing them, it's only possible with a changed mind. 
unless your mind has been changed, renewed, transformed, you're not able to do this. It's not possible. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Overcome evil with good. And that's hard. I, I see some of the children here, and I think if somebody hurt one of these children, it would be real hard for me to overcome that evil with good, because my natural inclination is to make them stop, not only from hurting that child, but from ever hurting another child. That's my natural inclination. I, I'm, I'm really, really, that's a tough one for me. And I look at the beautiful children that we have with us, and I think if somebody harmed one of those children, it would be really hard for me not to respond in like manner. That doesn't mean that we don't have them arrested. It doesn't mean that we don't put them in prison. I believe that's appropriate. But God's Word tells us not to get revenge because vengeance is His. Vengeance is His. We're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, and it's the only way to triumph over evil instead of being defeated by it. Because when we give ourselves over to that, it takes over us. And there's no longer Christ in us. It becomes evil in us. As I wrap this up, I want you to remember that only by living in and by the Word of God and walking in God's truth can any of us spiritually navigate these changing times. I don't see another way. I don't see another way, folks. It has to be by the Word of God. Founded in and upon God's unchanging Word, we find our minds are changed because His Word's not changing, but our minds are changing from worldly to heavenly, especially in changing times. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You, Lord, that Your Word is true. We thank You that regardless of what changes come, we can be not obsessed with taking revenge, but we can leave revenge to Your justice. We thank You, Lord, that we do not repay evil for evil, but we have regard for good things in the sight of all. We thank You, Father, that with renewed minds we can live together in a spirit of harmony. Help us, Father, to set aside ourselves and to identify with those who are humble-minded Help us not to be smug. Help us not to think we're more talented or knowledgeable than anybody else. Help us to use the gifts that You've given to us to Your glory. I pray, Father, that You would seat Your Word in our hearts, that we'd recognize that when Jesus comes, there will be no dark valley. When we see Christ, it will all be worth it. Help us, Lord, to know that faith is the victory, and help us to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. I pray this in Christ's name and all of God's people said, amen. amen.